Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore the uses of primary sources in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. Well, here we are in September of 2021. School has started for just about everybody, I would imagine, at this point. This podcast is just starting season two, just a touch later than I expected it to, but I'm so glad to be here with you all and so excited for all of the different topics that I've got lined up, at least through the first half of this season. I'm still working on ideas for the second half. We are going to start this season with an interview with author-illustrator Jennifer Thurms. I love talking with her about her book, Horsepower, How Horses Changed the World. And I know that we've done some other interviews with picture book authors, but I believe this is our first interview with a picture book author and illustrator. And one thing that I was really excited to hear about are the ways that primary sources that Jennifer discovered and explored really influenced the story as a whole and specifically the illustrations. So sit back and give this one a listen. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Friends, we are here with a special author and illustrator today for our um, podcast. She is the author and illustrator of Charles Darwin, Around the World Adventure, Grandma Gatwood Hikes the Appalachian Trail, one of my favorites, Manhattan Mapping the Story of an Island, and many more. But we are here today to talk with her about her newest book, Horsepower, How Horses Changed the World. Jennifer Thurms, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. We're really excited to have you and learn from you today. Could you start off just by telling us a little bit about your picture book, Horsepower, How Horses Changed the World? Yes. Um, so Horsepower, How Horses Changed the World is um, published by Abrams Books for Young Readers. And it is about horses, but also about how horses affected the course of human history. And um, we go from the early beginnings of the horse, from its first appearance on earth to how it evolved and how certain branches of horses died out and then certain ones survived and spread around the world. And then to how um, horses were domesticated by humans and uh, the, the technology that came about through that. Uh, so humans invented um, different wheeled vehicles to, to um, enable transportation and which of course enabled communication and the spread of cultures around the world. And, um, and then all sorts of horse related industries which created jobs for humans as well. And um, including especially communication uh, with the mail system and, um, and then we go up to the end of the horse era, which the horse era lasted for thousands of years. And um, so a little hint at the consequences that came, have come about over the last hundred plus years with the invention of cars and the gasoline powered engine. 
um, and just really uh, how humans have always been in awe of horses from the very beginning until still today. For those of you who have not read this book yet, and, and if you haven't, you need to go out and get it. Just from that description, you can tell the scope of this. And to, and to think that it is all in a picture book kind of blows my mind. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing and, and such a fun read. I'm wondering what your initial inspiration was to look at horses and their role in history and culture and society. Sure. Well, um, I was always a um, horse person. I loved horses as a young girl, as many, many kids do. And um, there's, um, there's a saying, and I'm not sure who said it, that the seeds of your next book are born in the book that you're working on now or some, something like that. So when I was researching Manhattan, I was doing a lot of looking at um, old vintage photographs and artwork, and it dawned on me that horses were everywhere. And yet they weren't really ever talked about or given credit for their role in history. So, um, you know, questions lead to more questions. And I started wondering, well, what would the world have been like without horses? And what exactly did they do? And um, so that's really how uh, things began, how it was inspired. I'm glad you said Manhattan because I... It that's another book of yours that that I love that I've had a chance to really dive deeply into. And it feels similar in structure in the sense that you are tackling centuries of, of history in this scope of this picture book, um, but doing it in a way that is so accessible for so many readers, which I think is amazing. And one thing that that I wanted to do as soon as I read this, as soon as I read Horsepower, similar to when I first read Manhattan, was to think about primary sources. So I've got to ask you, what primary sources did you come across when you were researching this book? Or maybe even, like you said, this might some of these might have come up when you were researching for Manhattan as well. Um, right. Well, um, I use a lot of digital online archives because um, especially the Library of Congress digital archives. And also um, the New York Public Library has great archives as well. Um, and also um, museums, uh, the American Museum of Natural History. And usually my process when I'm starting a big overview book like this um, is I do read a lot of um, secondary sources widely just to sort of wrap my head around the entire book and try to figure out what I want to include because obviously um, a picture book is limited in pages. So um, I'll read a lot of secondary sources and one thing will lead to another. And then my process as an author and an illustrator is I, I write a little bit and then I draw a little bit. And sometimes I can't quite verbalize the story but I'll work on the drawings. So that's where the primary source photographs come into play. Um, so yeah, it, it gets, it gets a little bit messy, but, but somehow it all comes together eventually. The photographs are where I was really focusing a lot of my attention to as I went and did my own little bit of research, because you mentioned there's a couple of, of wonderful page spreads, at least that I love. There's one where you have, um, kind of this city block kind of, and I'm holding this up for, for you now to see, but that city block piece, it's just so fun to kind of dig into all of the little 
nuances. There's so many horses on the street, but as you mentioned, they're kind of tied into all of these different industries. And some of them were ones that I've seen before and I've thought about, and other ones were industries that just kind of had never really, um, were not ones that I had really given much thought to. And then the page after you really kind of focus in specifically on the, the horses and the different types of carriages and carts and trucks that were connected with, uh, that, that horses were kind of tied to. And again, it, it kind of pushed my thinking and pushed me to dig into different primary sources. Were most of these inspired in some way or connected in some way with different visuals or other types of historical references? Um, yes, uh, the spread that you um, mentioned after the horses powered the world, um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I knew that they delivered ice by ice trucks, but, um, but a lot of them I had never heard of, such as night soil horses, because, of course, there wasn't indoor plumbing, so horses. Well, you've got to tell everyone what that is in case they don't. <laughs> I love that, that, that reference. <laughs> no, kids will love this. Uh, night soil is human excrement or poop. <laughs> and. Um, of course, there was not indoor plumbing so uh, or sewage systems at that point, so horses hauled everything away. And in the case of cities, which was really fascinating um, to me, a city would shut down if horses uh, weren't around because they delivered everything into the city and delivered everything out. Um, and of course, uh, they produced a lot of manure in the meantime, which had to be hauled out of the city but often that was used um, as fertilizer in farms that surrounded the cities and the farms would grow food that was then brought in by horse um, back to the city. So everything was sort of is, was very connected in, and even if, if somebody didn't own a horse or have um, immediate contact with a horse, the horses affected everybody's life uh, day in and day out. So they really were everywhere every day. Oh, the other thing, one little fascinating tidbit that was in that I put in the timeline is in 1872, I believe, the Great Epizootic, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, was a horse pandemic, a horse flu that shut down major cities across the Northeast and the Midwest um, because so many horses became ill that transportation was brought to a halt. So people really were reliant on horses um, as the machines of their of their day. That almost seems like its own story, or it could be its own story. It really that, could be, yeah. Event. The one thing, too, that, and you're kind of mentioning this, but the one thing that really struck me from, from your illustrations, from the story, is also, in some ways, how specialized some of these different uses of horses, especially around commerce and goods, has was at the time. I think now we think of going to get our food and we go to the market, the grocery store, and we just kind of grab almost everything, if not everything at one place. And yet I'm looking at your um, illustrations and I, you've got someone delivering ice by horse, someone delivering butter, cheese, and eggs by horse. Someone else looks like they have some types of fruits or vegetables or other types of goods by horse. Uh, someone else has uh, fresh fish. Someone else has beer. Uh, you've got, um, all different kinds of, of these kind of specialized deliveries that are happening at this time that I think that young readers 
wouldn't even think of today. If not, maybe for the pandemic and DoorDash and all types of things like that, maybe that makes things feel a little more specialized. But but really, I think it's it's kind of a new way to think about how people interacted with goods and services uh, compared yes. to what a lot of people do today. Right, right. Yes. And you can, I mean, you can imagine every truck that you see today or every um, train or, you know, car or delivery service would have been a horse pulling some sort of a wheeled vehicle. So um, it's kind of an interesting thing to ask kids to look around the world and see how, you know, what, what would a horse have replaced nowadays? Um, Absolutely. And then, and your references too, at the end, I think really hit on what felt to me to be the inspiration of the story or towards the end where you really start to reference where we probably may see horses today. So different racing or circus horses. And that's where I think a lot of kids often see, might see horses today. And that's where you have that love of horses come into play. I think for uh, a lot of people, especially if they don't necessarily have direct contact or, or ride themselves, it's, it's through some of these other types of interactions that they see today. Right, right. I mean, horses are still around and still beloved, but um, they, you know, again, they were the machines of their day, and then they sort of are, are not. They're more of a, you know, a pleasure animal for sports or for um, trail riding. And um, yeah, but not everybody has necessarily ever, you know, seen a horse in person these days, whereas in, in the past they would have. Um, but, but again, from the beginning, you know, from cave paintings with uh, drawings of horses up until today, it's amazing to me how humans are just still so fascinated by the way a horse moves, the way a horse looks. I mean, they're beautiful animals. Um, so, so yeah, this is really my tribute to uh, to horses throughout uh, throughout human culture, I guess. <laughs> Let me ask another kind of primary source connected question because, especially when you're looking at a, a story like this that just spans time you're looking at sources that span time as well. When you were working on these illustrations, you just mentioned the movement, were you looking at um, photographs, video, any of that type of thing to help really capture the horses in all of these different poses that we see throughout the book? Yes, um, it's interesting the way illustrators use photo reference. So I, I you know, most of these, um, especially the wagons, uh, were from photographic references. And, um, but the thing is, you don't want to copy a photograph as an illustrator. I, I take the information that I need from it and then I make it into my own sort of a scene. Um, and it's fascinating too, just in terms of the craft of making a picture book, uh, uh, and even especially a nonfiction picture book, how illustrators interpret different uh, primary source photos and draw them in their own style and you'll see styles that are super realistic or you know um super naive or you know and all sorts of different mediums so that's kind of an interesting thing for kids to think about as they're looking at different nonfiction books um and it's interesting because it is open to interpretation because otherwise you could just use photographs for anything or for everything which which is another way of of doing a nonfiction book, but um, it depends on what works for your story. And I almost think connecting with those pictures, it'd be so fun for, for young readers to actually try to find pictures that get close to 
what you've illustrated here. So almost going in the reverse of, of what the process you did, which was to find the photographs and then create your own version, right. finding something like, oh, can I find an ice tr uh, a horse-drawn ice carriage or a fish delivery or those types of things. Um, there, and, and again, some of these, I think, takes that scene that you've given us and and even grounds it even more into a reality in history that makes it more real for students that this was what the world looked like these these yeah. horses these machines as you called them as well uh were everyday life just as much as the cars lining the streets and, and going up and down the streets and trucks and everything else uh, are right. today i think it's fascinating Yes, and there's there's such a wide variety of the different vehicles. I mean, it was hard to include as many as I wanted to in here because of space limitations. Um, and it was interesting because that that sort of um, affected how the course of the story too, because um, I realized through the visual research that um, uh, horses basically did a lot of the same repetitive jobs through the ages and through wherever they were on earth. Um, you know, transportation, agriculture, war. Um, and so it gets very repetitive. So it was kind of a challenge to not just have it be, you know, oh, another ice truck for every, every spread. So um, that's where we started. Um, my editor and I talked about, you know, starting with the evolution of the horse and what exactly made the horse useful to humans and how, how was it easier to domesticate that animal, um, the horse in particular as opposed to um, other animals. Let me ask one question about, let me hit another primary source question. I think we've talked a lot around the visuals, which I, are stunning. And so I kind of can't help myself, but ask questions around them. But primary sources, did they also impact the text of the story? And if so, what might be an example of what we would see here that would speak to that? Um, I would say, um, a lot of the early um, the early pages around their evolution, um, I was able to look at you know fossils all digitized online through um, you know history museums. Uh, the Yale Peabody Museum has a, a great website, um, and you know of course that science is always changing as more um, as more discoveries are made. Uh, over, so everything is sort of like we think this was the way it was, and we think this is how they evolved. So I would say through um, museum re resources, that's that pretty much affected it. Well, it's it's just a beautiful book from page one to to the final page, both in the text and the great uh, illustrations that are throughout. So I really appreciate Jennifer you joining us and sharing with us all that we all that you could about the primary sources and how they impacted this beautiful book. I just a pleasure to read and a pleasure to know just a little bit more about how it came to be. Jennifer Thurms, thank you so much for joining us on the Primary Source Podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure.